Oh, no. We're good. We're good. All right. Are we rolling? Are we rolling, rolling everywhere? Rolling here. The mics you work. All at once. This one adjusted one more time. Perfect. Adjustments made. This is cool. We're good. get upset, I'll just do this. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Fuck Sammy, first of all. That's number one. Let's start with that. <laughs> yeah, they're good. Uh, we're good, and we already we already had so many great moments in the last half hour. I'm out. Uh, I'm, out of, I'm out of stories. Yeah. <laughs> so just know this is a second take of everything. <laughs> uh, we hope it feels canned because the original was fresh. It was really good. <laughs> First time I said all of this shit, it was hot. Yeah. Felonious monk. Yeah. Is that? Uh, do you go by felonious or by monk? Uh, m- monk. Okay. Mostly, uh, a reef occasionally because that's my my it's on my birth certificate and stuff. Um, yeah, it was that was an accident. Yeah, you've never heard this story, Sammy. <laughs> no, uh, never. <laughs> Tell me. So if you want to know how I got the name, how they put uh, on the marquee? Or sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Oh, the joke was a buddy of mine was trying to figure out uh, a good screen name for me because uh, Black Twitter, if you're unfamiliar with that as a place, uh, is full of punny names, right? So everyone, like I used to be Wave Chappelle at one point, right? <laughs> so a buddy of mine says, ooh, I got one for you. Uh, he was like, ghetto Gandhi. And I was like, I don't think Gandhi has black people. So I don't think you can oh, use that one. Why ghetto yeah. Gandhi, though? Like, I, he, I think his reasoning was that... Um, my jokes always, I tried at the very beginning to have a point. I was really on my Dick Gregory. I want every joke to, yeah. to have meaning. Yeah. And But also, uh, I said nigga a lot. So it was like, <laughs> there's got to be some way to balance those two things. And uh, so he went ghetto Gandhi, and I, I shot that down. And he was like, maybe 10 minutes later, he goes, Valonius Monk. And I was like, yeah, I like that. And I made that my screen name. And then I got booked. My first headlining gig was at Gotham in New York, and no one asked me what I wanted to be billed as. They just put Felonious Monk on the marquee, and I think, if we're being honest, that the booker thought that was my legal name. Wow. Because he actually paid me my check, my first big comedy check, said Felonious Monk. Uh, Luckily, Bank of America doesn't give a shit as long as the check clears. They don't care what the name is on it. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But your real name's Arif. Arif, Arif Shahid, because I'm a very knowledgeable witness, or, that's what they want you to believe. That's what it is? That's what it means? That's what it means. Yeah, yeah. Arif uh, uh, is uh, uh, supposed to be a person who's a teacher, an educator, and I take my responsibility seriously, uh, Sammy. I, I see it. Definitely educate people <laughs> but through my it, comedy. Is it knowledgeable witness also a snitch? I, <laughs> just, that's, a, that's a confidential informant. <laughs> very different thing. I am uh, I'm very pro not snitching. Uh, I do think there's a doubt. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Long time ago, I used to do uh, WPX 11. I used to do like news commentary. And on PIX 11, I remember uh, Jody Applegate was the anchor for the evening news. And I sat down in the chair. They were introducing me as their new like correspondent. It was basically a daily show type of deal. Welcome, Ghetto Gandhi. And she said, for Felonious Monk, ladies and gentlemen. And then she goes, so, you're pro-snitching. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> No, no, I'm not. And she looked at me like, that's this is what my notes say. Yeah. And I didn't have time to explain to her that there is a difference between a person who is not involved in crime, who witnesses a crime, and then gives a statement about that mm. crime, and a person who is involved in the crime, who then tells you about the crime to prevent themselves from going to jail. The second person is a snitch. The first person is a witness 
And I don't think that people should be afraid to be witnesses. I do know that saying that is easier than, you know, not getting shot for telling something. But I don't, the two aren't the same as, you know. At this point, I don't commit crimes anymore. So I would suggest you not doing shit in front of me. <laughs> you do some, you shoot a motherfucker around me and they catch me on camera close to the gunshots. I, the motherfucker had on blue and I don't know what kind of car it was, but it, it was white. Right. And it had four doors. His name was Kevin. <laughs> Jones. Kevin Jones, he lives at 42. Probably not, but still. You had that name down pretty well. Because I, I saw Kevin Jones shoot something. <laughs> and I wish the police would take me seriously. Come get Kevin Jones. If there's a Kevin Jones out there watching this, you know what you did. You know now, what you did, dog. This is a question based <laughs> off of something that I heard mm. just maybe 10 minutes ago. Have you been to jail? Damn it. <laughs> Stop snitching, Sammy. No, you, you weren't involved in the crime. I, ha I have. I did, uh, I did six Six years in prison as a child. It wasn't a child. Wow. Yeah, I was a, I was a teenager. But uh, yeah, I did six years. And the, the story is that I never got arrested for the shit that I did. But the shit that I didn't do, I ended up doing time for. Um, but it's, it's hard. I, I've said this on stage recently. It's hard to explain to people how long six years is. Yeah. Because it's just like a really random number. Like, ah, it's locked up for a decade. We get what that is. Six years is just weird, and the only way I can describe it is um, when I got locked up, Biggie had not released the song yet. Whoa! By the time I came home, Biggie was dead. Like, that's how quick mm -hmm. Biggie's career was, but how long it was for me to be locked up. There was no ugh when I got locked up, but when I came home, ugh was gone. It was like resting <laughs> ugh, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It was all a dream. It was ugh. <laughs> it was all, that was a really good... Thank you. Were you. That's a tag. Were you exposed to tag. Biggie or Tupac while you were in jail? Yeah. Um, so I was locked up with a bunch of New Yorkers. Yeah. And then there were a couple of West Coasters who really, really loved Pac. Yeah. And so that was a debate in prison, too. Like, we, you know, they were still the biggest radio acts. And Biggie was the most representative of New York. Brooklyn sure. is everywhere. Biggie is everywhere. <clears throat> Biggie was the biggest New York rap artist at the time. And Pac's whole persona, the charisma, the fact that he got locked up and came out of being locked up and then drops a song called California Love as an East Coast guy who basically just defected. Right. Right. Like he's, right. A, he's a Cuban baseball player who was like, hey, <laughs> California's got freedom. And, and went to, you know, and then drops this amazing, he gets with Dre, who's at the time at the peak of his beat making powers, and he just drops hit after hit after hit. But he also says, that's why I fucked your wife, you fat motherfucker. And that, <laughs> as a diss song in an era where we weren't doing that. Like, we were doing right. diss songs, but right. that's why I fucked your wife, you fat motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Come on, dog. If I didn't have anything to do with the original shooting, I'm going to shoot you now. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you the gentleman in jail were like, that right. was too much. That, I think, <laughs> hey, hey, Mr. Pac, Mr. Shakur, <laughs> as, as a person who shoots people, that's a shootable offense. <laughs> I'll let you know. There's the line. And you're <laughs> too far. Uh, but yeah, so we so we took sides, you know, uh, yeah. and, and it wasn't like, you know, the OJ verdict. We all took the same side. Because you were in there for the OJ verdict. We were in there for the OJ verdict. Yeah. yeah, that was crazy times. We celebrated like they were letting us out. Uh, <laughs> they didn't. I don't know if anybody knows. They did not transfer the freedom. Uh, but yeah, when Biggie, when Pac died, it was a very sad day. You saw a bunch of very gangster dudes like, I ain't crying. I was like, well, why is your face wet, dog? That's weird. 
And then when Biggie died, the people who were crying the first time was like, that's what he gets. And I was like, he didn't shoot Pac, <laughs> motherfucker. Like, that's, that was a different, oh my God. So yeah, it's, we were exposed to Pac. We were exposed to Biggie. Uh, we were mostly looking at Patrick videos because Patrick had a nice body. It was a weird time. <laughs> Very weird time. So they, you, you guys watch some TV. We, we watched TV. Ha- yeah. Halfway through <clears throat> my sentence, they uh, passed some type of law saying, or some type of policy saying, they could not show R-rated movies in the prison anymore yeah. because psychologists had studied and said that viewing these made prisoners more aggressive and you wow. didn't want to make already aggressive people aggressive. Right. And I was like, we just beating each other up, dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I should be able to watch a rated R movie with him. <laughs> I should be able to watch Scarface. We inspired these. I You're sold not, a lot yeah. of cocaine. How can I not watch a movie yeah. based on selling cocaine? This is bullshit. You've been to jail recently? They're all playing cartoons. They're all playing cartoons. That okay, is every inmate doing a high-pitched voice That's now. right. I'm going to beat you up. And I wish, and they're running like anime uh, characters, which probably healthier. Uh, <laughs> allegedly running like an anime character is more aerodynamic. But right. That shit looks goofy. I right, was, right. Uh, watch too much anime for an old motherfucker. Now, let me ask you two questions. Uh, okay, I'll give first, you First question, uh, you said you, you didn't get, you got punished for the thing that you didn't do. Right. Uh, and not the thing you did. Right. Had you been punished for the thing you actually did, mm. would that have been a larger sentence? Uh, probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was some ongoing shit. You know, I got I got one of those, you got caught for this one thing, but I was doing a continuing enterprise thing. Right. Mm-hmm. If I'd ever gotten caught for that, there could have been <clears throat> some conspiracy charges thrown into it. I mean, I think um I think at the time drug dealing was still new enough. Coke dealing, crack dealing was still new enough. Because uh, drug dealing has been going on forever, but the the way we were doing it was new. Mm. The, the the cell phones and the beepers and all of that stuff was new. We'd Digital media from, marketing, right? We weren't we weren't outside selling crack anymore. Like right. I remember the transition from standing outside waiting for people to come and buy crack to being in a house, right? And just getting a call and saying come by at this time, right? And that made the cops' jobs harder. They weren't a step ahead of us. They were always a step behind us at that point, right? Now. We also didn't adapt quickly. You know, we would get a step ahead and then they would catch up and we would still not realize they caught up for a year. So mm. I happened to luckily get locked up before they caught up. Uh, good, you know, good on me for getting arrested for something else. Because <laughs> I tricked you motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, showed you. You tried to catch me for what I did. Wrong. <laughs> But, but, but the thing that you didn't do, right. did you know somebody else who did I was it? In, I was there. Oh, you were I there. I was involved. Yeah, it was, you were a witness. Like, yeah, <laughs> and it was, I mean, it's, we talked about snitching. It's the yeah. idea that whatever, whatever my part in it was, because I got caught, I didn't have the moral position to say, no, 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 this, you got me for the wrong thing. Because I feel like that comes back around on you, right? Like right. if I told on this guy, then someone would go, yeah, but did you know he was doing this right. for a long time? So I was like, I'll take this. You humbly did your time. I humbly did. I don't, I don't know if it was humble. I was very arrogant. And I was like, you motherfuckers <laughs> are real criminals. Not me. I'm innocent. <laughs> so it was very sad. I know my story is not at all like yours, but that happens to me <laughs> once. I didn't go to jail. I know that I didn't go to jail. But I was watching cartoons, but I didn't go to jail. <laughs> um, I, uh, 
I had I much had, like you. I'm a cartoon watcher. <laughs> yeah, 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 me, you, same. Much like you, I think OJ is innocent. And uh, there was a there was a period of t- time in early high school where I would steal a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I got arrested for stealing a calculator, which I did not steal. Right. My friend stole it, mm-hmm. but I've been I've been stealing many other calculators. Right. I didn't steal so, that calculator. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and the only person I ever told that to was my dad, and yeah. he was like, "What? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you?" Like, Calculators, dog. Yeah. Were you selling the calculators on? The- I was selling them on the black market. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, for I mean, for ridiculously small markups. And, you know what bothers yeah. me about that is that is the American dream. Honestly, is yeah. to get product at the lowest possible price and, and free yes. is very low yes. as a price point, and then to sell it. And you yes. say with very little markup, any markup on free is markup. Absolutely, it's a hundred percent markup. Hundred percent markup. It's like I sell these for a dollar. That's a yes. dollar per thing every right. time you get one. That's, that's a great good deal. capitalism. That's great capitalism. And I was also promoting like the doing of math to like entrepreneurship. Yeah, you're you're providing a service to people who can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. affordable mathing. Affordable mathing. That's that's my next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what I did. I used to steal drug dealers' drugs and then sell them to crackheads because I care about the community and medicating them. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're out there and you're missing some drugs, I probably stole them, dog. They could use that extra money for food occasionally, yeah. right? That was 30 years ago. No one gives a shit anymore. And if you do, it's fuck it. I've done enough stuff. Kill me now. I'm fine. But, but, but that it's is... very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is going to be pissed. Let's cut it there. Let's end oh, it there, huh? wife's going to be so pissed. She's like, can you stop telling people to shoot you? <laughs> I got to raise this little motherfucker by myself because you tired of living. It's fucking... All right. That's but that was, it was a very long time ago. So, you, so I take it you got out in 97, 98? 98, yeah. Wow. Came home in 98. I've been home 20... This is my 25th anniversary. I'm talking about it a lot more now. Wow. Specifically because it's easier to reflect. I've been home now. 25 years quarter of a century and the first 25 years of my life was spent like figuring out how to be a good criminal and then the last 25 was trying to figure out how to not go back uh and and it's easier to reflect with that much time you know the comedy is the what's the formula you know time plus trauma equals whatever there's enough time now right for me to talk about you know, all of the dehumanization that happens and then to kind of put a funny spin on it. I didn't have a funny spin for a long time because I still couldn't vote until, you know, the last election was the first election I was legally allowed to vote in. 2020? 2020. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2018, I got the right back, but there, no, 2018, I voted. Yes, 2018, I voted in the midterm. My first vote was a midterm vote. I really was excited about it too, which if I had known that no one gave a fuck. <sighs> <laughs> I'm glad I didn't vote in 2016 only because I would have been heartbroken if my very first vote was for Hillary and Trump still won. Right. Like, you know what? This is some bullshit. This whole yeah. system is corrupt. Yeah. It is, but also that would have been like my first vote. Dog. My first one. That would have been your first and last. Oh my God. Yeah. I voted for some SAG after shit last night and those didn't win, but I was okay with it. You know? uh, I, I will say that, you know. A couple of them, I was like, ah, that's very close to Trump. You know, that set, we'll talk later. But <laughs> I forgot some of you guys watch these podcasts and you're actors. <laughs> but yeah, voting is, that was, it, it took a long time for me to get over it because until very recently, there were still things I could not do. What, what is the formula for voting uh, post-felony? Um, it varies from state to state. Yeah. So. You know, there's this belief that if you have a felony, you can never vote. And that is true in some states. Uh, um, there are two states, Vermont and I want to say New Hampshire. I'm not positive, but I know Vermont is one. I know that both the states are 95 percent white. 
they allow you to vote while you're still incarcerated, regardless of what your charge is. You could have murdered 75 people, 10 rapes. You, it's your right. It's your right to vote. And then, you know, there's states like, you know, Kentucky, where they're like, I don't care if you stole 10 pieces of gum. If it's a felony, you'll never vote again. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, there are various states where once you've completed your sentence, you can vote. Or once you've completed your parole, you can vote. And once you've completed parole and paid off your fines, you can vote. And um, what happened in Virginia because it's where I was locked up. In Virginia, for years, it was one of those you'll never vote again states. And then um, the previous governor basically did an executive order type of deal where he was like, hey, man, if you have a nonviolent charge or if you've been free for this amount of time, you can vote. Wow. And the GOP legislature was like, hey, motherfucker, no, that's no. But by the time they said that, he had already freed like a thousand, were given like a thousand people who had gotten their rights back. And he had set up an infrastructure where you could apply to reinstate your rights online. And so and that they, applied to you. And that applied to me. So I applied and like six weeks later, I went back <laughs> and checked and it had gone from pending to you are now legally able to vote. And so immediately I registered and did all of the stuff and I kept I kept a uh digital copy and I printed out a copy showing because I didn't want to be one of those guys who were like, hey, I thought I could vote legally because of this thing. And they're like, mm, we right. don't have a record of that. Right. And then I go back to jail. I'm way too old. I can't fight anymore. <laughs> it's not, I'm not, this isn't a jail body. <laughs> it's definitely not a jail mom. I'm sleepy now. It is a great message for criminals who would like to still be politically active. Yes. Like, learn your state's laws. That's, you know? I, and I did, a, I've done, I think Activism for me is less about activism and more about finding ways to get more people involved in processes. And that's one of them. Um, there are people like Dwayne Betts who does a lot of work um, in, in not only reinstating people's rights, but getting records expunged, right? Because, you know, we talk about second chances in this country, but we also do this weird thing where, yeah, it's a second chance, but you got a shorter rope. Dude, right. I've been home 25 years. What I did as a 19-year-old... You know what I mean? Like, we, how, how long do you hold? I'm 50. Like, no one is going, you, you know what? You're 50, but you still remind me of the 19-year-old. Right. In right. what way? <laughs> uh, so, you know, he does a lot of work. Uh, we are Soze. Uh, Soze organization does a lot of work with, with um, former inmates' rights. And there's so many of these different organizations out there. And it's just recently that I've kind of started to get in touch with these organizations and try to use um, not just my story, but my, my size of my platform or whatever, to um, try to get that word out. There literally are people who believe you will never be able to vote again. And the first time they heard that you could was me saying it on Twitter or on Instagram. Right. I know three different people who, after finding out that I got my rights reinstated, reached out, DM'd me or whatever, and said, how did you go about it? Wow. I told them, and a couple of them were like, shit, I just checked. I already had the right to vote for it last year. Right. Didn't know it. So, yeah. It, and also, I mean, your, your specific story about Virginia just goes to show that if the state policy changes, it can affect people who have past sentences. It, it affects yeah. people. And, and again, I think I think it's a lack of information, but I think it's intentionally they don't want that information out. Right. Uh, because just statistically, um, we know black and brown people get arrested at higher rates. We also know that black and brown people vote uh, Democrat at higher rates. And so in a lot of these states. Uh, the goal is to disenfranchise black and brown people, whether, you know, that's intentional or unintentional. I don't really give a shit about the argument there. I just know that it's accurate. The outcome, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, 
the, the only people who are going to give you that information are going to be other black and brown people. They're not going to tell you that on the news. Fox News isn't going to go, you know, in these states, it's changed. Um, shit, even in Florida, they, they voted to reinstate the rights of previous felons, and then the governor came back and went, yeah, but here's another hoop with fire on it that you right. have to jump through. So, right. you know, we do this thing where this is an inclusive democracy, but we really are doing everything we can to exclude people that we don't want to vote for whatever reason. And people who in many cases have the more atonement than anybody in right. this society, people who have like learned the hard way. More atonement and more skin in the game, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of times where, you know, these policies impact us in ways that other people aren't impacted. Um, you know, my wife and I have talked about this, like Roe versus Wade, for example, um, it impacts me in ways, but not in the ways that it impacts her and her healthcare, mm -hmm. right? So I'm voting on her behalf in, in some of those situations, but also on mine, because she gets pregnant right now. <laughs> <laughs> is, is this my camera? This is my camera. No. <laughs> I'll grow my pinky nail out if I have to. It's just it's cells. I'll scrape them off the wall on my own. I don't give a shit. I want, to, I want to state very clearly, I'm not pro-choice. I am pro-abortion. I will go get the motherfucker myself. <laughs> Okay. You're a father, right? <laughs> I love my kids. I love my kids. Very much a family man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Segway. It's more than a ride. Uh, I got a I got an 18 year old daughter and a, a six year old son. I like both of them. Uh, <laughs> like. One more than the other. You guys figure it out at home. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I do. I think that's a. I think that's a big part of the conversation, though. People do this thing where it's like, oh, as, as a parent, how could you? And I was like, as a parent who likes being a good parent, adding another motherfucker would be a right. lot. It would right. be a strain. Mm -hmm. Also, right. as someone who loves my my wife, I saw what her body went through. Like just understanding that the the <laughs> calcium has to come from her bones to make the new baby's bones. She doesn't have like a lot of extra calcium. I don't. Right. That's not a thing. Like, hey, how much calcium you have? I have 130 percent of the calcium I need. I don't. I got like 93. That's a pro-choice argument I've never heard before. There you go. There's a cal calcium. It's a calcium. <laughs> <laughs> fucking wife. She's lactose intolerant, and it makes her calcium deficient. So now, right? right. What, how do I give her her calcium back? That's right. not. That's not cool. Both Stop doing that to your for the lactose intolerant. That's right. Pro-choice <laughs> for the lactose intolerant. <laughs> That's what I'm running on. Uh, when you run next time, I would like to run as your vice president. Yeah. And my thing is going to be pro-choice for the lactose intolerant. <laughs> Dairy-free, baby-free. That's, uh, yeah. Making the shirts now. Dairy-free, baby-free. <laughs> Shit. They're going to put me out of it. This is over. So you, you started comedy how, how long after you got out? Oh, a long time. I, I was not in, <clears throat> of the belief that I had the freedom to do anything cool. Uh, I thought that I was just going to have to get a job and, and whatever I could get, I had to take it because that's what I had earned. So you felt kind of like you had to keep a low profile and every keep a low profile and, and also um, not be a burden. I, I was already a burden on my family at this point. You know, my mom wanted me to go back to school and I was like, sure, but who's going to rate, who's going to take care of me mm -hmm. if I'm going to school full time. Right. Um, so I was 38. It was th I've been home for almost 13 years, 12, year 12 years of some change before I got on a stage. And I was a very old first time comic. And I am still amazed that I've had any level of success because it was kind of a, a lark. It was, I'm gonna go on stage because my buddy keeps telling me to go on stage. And, you know, hopefully I don't, 
hopefully I find a good job while I'm doing this other thing on the side. And then it became the good job. Like within a year I was doing, um, I was doing TV shows and um, getting a check for entertainment that was, you know, equal to the checks I was getting before entertainment yeah. or, or a little better. And so, yeah, I, I was 38 years old. So if you're out there listening to this and you think you're too old to whatever, do it. Yeah. Just do it. I don't, unless it's, unless you think you're too old to have a baby, in which case you're, you're right. Don't do it. <laughs> Not calcium. Pull out. You don't have the calcium for this. You are losing <laughs> calcium by the day. Don't do it. I will say as a third party observer, uh, people who start stand up later in life and are serious about it mm -hmm. will accelerate faster because they have the ability to focus that in a way that young shitheads can't. They also have a story and that's not a knock on young people. Young people have to live to have stories to tell and you can't accelerate that process. You can't accelerate heartbreak. You can't accelerate fucked up job situations. You can't accelerate loss. And <clears throat> that's where the funny comes from, right? The funny is the is the marginally traumatic shit that you deal with that you found a cool spin on. No one wants the happy jokes. It's like, you ever been outside having a good day and the sun feels amazing? And you're like, hmm, and now you're brown. Like that's not, <laughs> it's funny here, but that's not, a, that's not how you structure a set. Um, but yeah, you have to have a certain level of life experiences. And I think you can learn to structure jokes really well when you're young. You can learn to write jokes really well when you're young. But for your jokes to have the kind of impact that you want them to have, you have to have some life experience. And that was helpful for me. At 38, when I started, I'd been to prison. I'd been divorced. I had a kid. I'd had, you know, I had a rocky relationship with family. I'd gone through all of that, and I had all of that to pull from. The hardest part was figuring out what I wanted to focus on. But the having the material was there. That was yeah. easy. You said earlier in your career you had uh, some stuff go viral. What, what was it? Yeah, uh, showed my dick on Twitter. No, 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 no. Sorry, that was, that was a, a recurring nightmare. I, um, I did a, I used to do a YouTube series called uh, Stop It Be. And it was, <laughs> the, the whole premise of it was that we get very upset about things we shouldn't be upset about. Mm -hmm. And it was based on the, me watching hours of YouTube videos and watching people go on these very angry rants. And we remember the, leave Britney alone type right. of, you know right. what I mean? I was like, it's Britney Spears, Don't, no one hate, no one's gonna kill her. We're just, people are shit, talking shit. You're very upset about this. And I saw a guy who was really upset about Carrie Hilson apparently saying that she wrote a song for Beyonce. And he was like, who the hell is Carrie Hilson? I know the Hilton sisters. I know this person. And he was just, and I thought it was hilarious. There's no reason for you to be that mad about this rich lady saying something about this other rich lady. And so I started doing my take on that. And I would find these innocuous little things that people were into. And I'd do rants about it. I was like, stop it, B. Stop putting your ass on the sink to make your butt cheeks look bigger on Instagram. That's ridiculous. And, and people like resonated with it. Yeah. And I because I was new at comedy, didn't realize that they were resonating with the misogyny and that one, for example. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh yeah, these bitches be doing that. And I was like, no, 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 that's not what, no, that's not what the joke was. No, 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 no. Um, but the, the one that really started the, because by this point, by the way, um, World Star Hip Hop was out and World Star was notorious for showing, uh, and I say this, out loud, if anyone from World Star is listening, they were notorious for showing things that showed the black community in an awful light, mm -hmm. but it made them, it got them a lot of clicks. And a lot of uh, allegedly black media 
at that time and still to this day, Lipstick Alley and these types of places, they show the worst of us for clicks. And there's a market for that. There's a market for people who want to see fights, a market for people who want to see celebrity gossip and us at our worst. And so um, the first times I went viral were on Worldstar, which says a lot about the type of <clears throat> material it was. Again, I'm thinking people realize these are jokes. I'm not realizing that I was absolutely developing a following of people who thought that I believed the shit I was saying. Mm. And so the summer of 2011 um, was the first time I was like really aware of the debt ceiling argument. It's because when Barack Obama was president, every single regular fight that they've had forever became this exaggerated fight, right? So all of a sudden, the debt ceiling, which had been raised 30, 40, 50 times in my lifetime, became this knockdown, drag out fight. And we'll shut this whole some bitch down if we have to. And I was like, what the fuck is the debt ceiling? And I was like, here's a good joke. We'll just, you know, we'll make this as small as possible. We'll take the debt ceiling and this big macroeconomics argument and make it micro. If I got to the ceiling of my credit cards, I wouldn't be allowed to spend anymore. And that was my argument. It was key, key, key funny. And then I have the leeway because I'm black to make a joke about Barack Obama as a black guy. Hey, man, you are first black president. You're acting like it. Pay your fucking bills. <laughs> I this is a funny joke in an all black comedy club. This is a hilarious joke at the table with a bunch of my black friends. Glenn Beck saw the video and played oh, it on his. No, he played it on his morning radio show. Damn it. <laughs> um, and so the National Review sent a reporter out to cover me and, wow. and do a story on me. And Glenn Beck did a story on The Blaze about me. And um, Don Imus, rest in piss, peace, 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 <laughs> peace, rest in peace, uh, would bring me on and try to goad me into saying negative shit about uh, Barack Obama to the extent that after one episode when I wouldn't go for the debate, he, I had a call. I just got a call on my phone from a number I didn't know. And it's like, hey, uh, is this Filoni Smoke? I was like, yeah. All right, can you hold for Don Imus? And he was like, girl, so uh, <laughs> let's talk about when your appearances, the types of things we would like for you to say. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Dog. <laughs> yeah. And that was my last. I never made another appearance. But oh, wow. what, what I realized at the time was I needed to take a step back. And if anybody wants to check the history of this, they can go back to July-ish, August of 2011 and notice that the tone of my videos changed immediately after that. Mm -hmm. Because I immediately saw that what I was saying that I thought were jokes could be used, um, not to harm me, because I don't give a fuck, but it was used to harm communities and harm the arguments of people who really took this shit seriously. And I thought we were just telling jokes. Mm -hmm. It's the Chris Rock, you know, you got black people and you got niggas. And he was like, this is a joke that black people get we know why it's funny, but we really don't hate niggas. Like, I fuck with Barack Obama and Flavor Flav. Like, I don't want Flavor Flav to disappear. That's my <laughs> motherfucker. You know what I mean? A clock? A clock. You walk around with a clock and do this at 60 years old and say, yeah, boy, I love that shit. Are you fucking kidding me? You introduced the world to Tiffany New York Pollard. I love her. Don't ever take Flavor Flav away from us. But I appreciate Michelle Obama more than Barack, if we're being honest. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it was that level of shit though, right? So that kind of changed. It's, it soured me to YouTube, um, yeah. but it also made me try to write jokes that were bulletproof. I yeah. wanted to write jokes that didn't, that you couldn't misconstrue, <clears throat> right? that you couldn't twist, you couldn't take them from me, you couldn't make them mean what you wanted to. And I wanted to find a way to do that without losing the whimsy. 
because niggas don't get to be whimsical. That's <laughs> like that's a. I think Langston Kermit might even have a joke about that idea, but the the idea that we don't just get to be flippant and throw a thing out there without it following us forever is mm. is now and social media has made it worse uh, because the stuff really does live forever, right? right. Um, <laughs> a perfect example. My favorite two comics, of course a lot of old dudes, it's it's uh, Richard Pryor and Carlin, right? Carlin has a bit where he says nigga like three times in the bit. That bit, I don't, fuck the word cancel, but that bit would have gotten him so much heat right. if it existed now because it would have been played on a loop and it would have been played for the outrage of people who hate, and it wouldn't have been his audience. It would have been a non-audience that, but that's, that's what happens. And so I wasn't strong enough yet as a comic. I wasn't, my platform wasn't big enough and I hadn't received the type of leeway that these big Hollywood names had gotten to be able to get away with that shit. I had to create what I wanted people to think about me then in that moment. And so we just kind of went away from YouTube and we, you know, I could have probably been bigger earlier, but I didn't want to be big for the reasons I was going to be big. Right. So, yeah. I went that, viral and fucked my career up. God damn. That's a really <laughs> interesting shit story. I, I, a couple things. First of all, uh, again, our stories are not similar. I'm not trying to say they are. <laughs> I think but they really are. The first time I went viral was also on World Star Hip Hop. <laughs> what? Yeah. That makes me so happy. It was, uh, <laughs> that makes me so fucking yeah, happy. It was a this. sketch about Israelis and Palestinians. So that makes perfect oh, sense. Okay. Yeah. People also enjoy seeing Middle Easterners same, being in a same thing. position. You know same what I mean? Same thing. So, yeah. um, so, so I, I got a taste of that early yeah. on, and uh, did you have to? Did you did you have people who? I don't know if they were intentionally obtuse, but they really like missed where you were going with Absolutely. it. And, Absolutely, and but just like so far away that you're like, I don't even want to explain it because it's going to take multiple paragraphs right. to correct all of the <laughs> shit that you got wrong. Right. I, I did that happened to me recently. By yeah. the way, I did a I have a bit. Um, and it was, it was actually it's fucked up. It was a throwaway line that I said on a Comedy Central taping. And it was about me smoking weed and weed making you not care about important things. That's literally the premise is weed makes you not care about important things. Right. For example, if I saw my son climbing on the TV and he fell and knocked the TV over, I'd be like, sorry, little motherfucker, we can get another TV. <laughs> like if somebody walked up to me and was like, hey, man, you see what's going on in Ukraine? And I was like, that's white or white crime. That's not my business. <laughs> the joke was not that Ukraine doesn't matter. The joke is that Ukraine matters a lot, but the weed makes you not give a fuck. Right. But people thought that I was saying, fuck the Ukraine, let white people kill themselves. Right. And I see where they could get that. But also, like, hey, dog, did you not hear the part here? Weed makes you not give a shit about right. important things. Right. Right. Um, That's why comedians often we have to repeat our premises twice yeah. so that people can go back and be like, oh, that's right. That's right. You said yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. But what's frustrating about it is it's recorded. So you could go back and yeah, see that I easily. said that, but you don't want to. Right. The outrage machine is there and you just wade through it. At some point you go, fuck you and mute them or whatever you need to do and go on. Um, but I think that me and you should try to do more world star shit. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we can, I mean, world star, it's still there. It's just not as yeah, popular. It's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. We, we can bring it back. We could bring world star back. <laughs> let's just, let's just do it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, but you, you, you said something you that... You Sammy on Worldstar. I've, I've never... <laughs> Worldstar! I'm sorry. That's, that's how you used to be able to get on. You it just was yell like, that like, shit out after somebody got slapped. Days, man. <laughs> uh, you said something that I've never heard a comedian say, but I think about a lot. And that is that you went viral and attracted the wrong audience. And often comedians were just like, we'll take whatever. Or entertainers, we'll take whatever. That's more yeah. more money, more you know, tickets sold, whatever, more followers. Mm. But you're right. When you say a joke and, and people are like, look, like for instance, like uh, a lot of comedians will make jokes about trans people. Right. Right. And some of the jokes are, are funny mm -hmm. and I don't find them offensive. I can't speak as a person who's not trans. Right. But then all these people will go crazy for them, be like, yeah, this is so funny, and share, share, share. And you look at the comments, and there's actual people who, who don't like trans people and right. like are you have all this hatred and stuff. And I see that, I'm like, I don't want to be doing stuff like right. that. You know what I mean? So it, it, you see a lot of people accruing these followings that actually do have these subtle hate, you know, the subtle hate. And every, every, every person's a person, they can atone and stuff like that. But when you, when you see patterns like that. When you actively pursue that audience. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I, <laughs> Niles Abstin is very quickly becoming one of my favorite comics. He has a, a great bit about it's it's a, it's a double sided bit. It's a bit about trans people, but it's also a bit about how easy it is to write a non offensive joke. Mm -hmm. And the joke is basically that um, he hates trans dudes because they get to be dudes but also have cute feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great bit it's very funny comics are laughing at it comics are laughing at it and I'm probably not telling it perfectly the premise of that is really funny by itself yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what I call a bulletproof joke there's no way for you to look at that and go yeah that really pisses me off right. these trans dudes with their little ass feet appropriating <laughs> yeah. pretty feet culture exactly. you can't fuck exactly. that joke up right yeah. but when you actively are and, and I'm not anti-edgy I'm I'm very right. much into say some edgy shit, right. push the envelope. But if the, if pushing the envelope turns the fire onto someone other than you, mm -hmm. just, you know, don't fuck. I'm being brave. No, you're not. You're fucking turning the gun. You're turning the bullseye right. onto a whole group of people dog that you're not involved yeah. in. Right. Yeah. Like, and by the way, I did not know until you said that, that you were trans. Entire time I've known you, thought you were trans <laughs> Don't know where we go from here because look at my feet, dude. I, and that should have tipped me off. That should have tipped me off. Um, I got good feet, man. I got cute ass feet. And, I, and, and to be clear, I didn't. I don't really know exactly what the hormones do. So maybe this shit makes your feet grow. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, they're smaller. They're but that, that's it. I do think that you have the choice of how you want to be seen when it's all over. Right. And if you actively cultivated this group of people that you know is shitty because you believe when it's all said and done, you'll be able to donate money to these organizations and kind of get some of you, you can't undo the harm. You know, for right. me, I've sold a lot of cocaine, a lot of cocaine. And after shows or? Occasionally, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, if my merch is moving, I don't have to. You know? So it depends. Buy the merch, I'll stop selling coke. It's, on you. It's, it's, a, it's really the audience's fucking fault. That I'm out here. You know, you could get me off the streets today by buying these shirts. Um, <laughs> they have my state number on them too, because I don't give a fuck. Um, but I do think that there's there's a lot of harm that I did that I won't be able to undo. I have to sit with that. I can't. There's no amount of care and dare programs that I can join to undo the harm that I did. So I have to I have to accept that as a, a reality, but also I have the choice to not 
only not do that anymore, but to actively try to work against it, right? Right. And I can't do that if I'm continuing to sell drugs. And I think that's the thing is like, I know I'm a good person and I give money to the Salvation Army, but yes, I make a lot of jokes about poor people. It's like, well, you're still actively doing harm. At best, you're evening it out. Right. At best. But you're probably not because you're doing more harm than whatever your donation is likely. Um, (laughs) I don't know how much money. Like Dave Chappelle probably could give a lot of money to trans rights organizations and, and fix a lot of the shit that he's done. He's not, but he could. But I can't. If I sell a lot of cocaine, I'm not giving the money up because I sold the cocaine. I did the work. <laughs> right, right, right. The fucking poor people right, didn't right. do the work. The fucking drug dealers, users didn't do the work. I did the work. So if I make the money. But the bigger point is it's way easier just not to harm and to find ways to be funny. And, and interestingly enough, Cat Williams, I think, has articulated it better than anyone in the last few years. Where he basically was like, you can be funny and not offensive. But the problem is a lot of you aren't funny. Mm. You're just offensive, and so you fight for the right to continue to be offensive because that's the only way you get close to funny. Mm. And that's, you know, this shit's hard. Being funny, being flat out funny, that make making a wide swath of people laugh right. is not easy. Right. Because you, you, you can never not offend anybody. No. You, 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 the best thing you can do is you can minimize casualties while saying something that generally has a good impact. And that's funny. that's yeah. I, I mean, I've told jokes about my kids, and you know, my kids are very clear on how how I feel about them. They they're aware, so I don't really give a shit what everyone else thinks. But also, I've told jokes that have been banned from TikTok for being anti-child. <laughs> that's the real thing. Like, that's there's a number. Name. If I showed my TikTok, like the warnings that they've given me, we're gonna ban your account. And a lot of them are just because I'm saying things like, "Yo, fuck my kid, man. This a dick." <laughs> and if you know my kid, I'm not just pulling that from my ass. He's a, he's he's me, but with no rails. There's no guardrails for him because. Right. He hasn't had the trauma that I've had. So he's right. six. He just says shit, dog. <laughs> he just says whatever. Like, he, he doesn't care. We teach him things because it's funny for him to say adult things. I don't give a shit how you feel about that when people are like, oh, kids cussing, that's horrible. It's hilarious. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Any little kid that says, man, fuck that. That's funny. A three-year-old saying fuck that. Hilarious. Right. But also, uh, when I teach my son the song Chicken Head by, you know, Project Pat, I don't realize that's a very important childhood lesson. I don't realize that one day I'm going to be joking and put my face really close to his face and he's going to look at me and go, always in my face, (laughs) talking this and that. That's hilarious. That is objectively (laughs) funny because his timing could not be better. But very asshole move. And when I call him an asshole on TikTok, I get banned for a week. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) apparently I've offended parents by saying, if you're thinking about having kids, pull out. Right. And I think I even said something like, if you're if you're a uh, if you're a lesbian, it doesn't matter. Pull your strap out. If right before she comes, just pull out. <laughs> don't exit. We don't know the science behind it. And they were like, that's that's a anti LGBT joke. And I'm like, how? There's literally no negative thing. And so, yeah, you can't you can't write a joke that someone won't get offended by because you can't assume that everyone is going to get your intention. Right. But what you can do, like you said, is write a joke with a good intention that does more harm than good, that, you know... Uh, does more harm than good. 
does, yeah, that's it. Does more harm than does more harm than good. That's my that's my thing. Sometimes you can have a, a typo without typing. You ever, you ever seen that? You can, you can be dyslexic with whole sentences. And so the dyslexic, on the yeah. Internet forever. That's gonna be it. Felonious monk. Do more harm than good. Open that. Open the clip. Open the show with. And sometimes you just want to do more harm than good. And to the dyslexic community, I apologize if that was offensive to you. Um, you just. Whatever, you'll be fine. <laughs> we have a few, uh, last few questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to ask one. Yeah. Cocaine. Uh, <laughs> about cocaine. Most, the answer to most questions. <laughs> yes, cocaine. cocaine. Um, I guess going back to like the whole council culture and mm -hmm. people being offended by jokes, do you all feel like the audience's uh, literacy of comedy and jokes have like diminished or like... Do you like what what has caused this, you know, this uh, concoction of like how comics are received and all of that? I, I think people have a voice now that they haven't had before. And people who've always had a voice are learning how to adjust to that. Mm. And it's it's uh, I mean, you see it in every social movement. It's the same thing. It's the guys who've been in power. Uh, having that power challenged and pushing back. You know, the Make America Great Again is the idea of going back to a time where a certain group of people didn't get pushed back. That's, that's really it. And so comedy has always been this bastion of freedom where if you come to a comedy show, you just accept that everything that the person says is with the intention of being funny. And if you're offended, shut the fuck up because their intention is being funny. This is a comedy club. You're supposed to be... And you can't expect that to continue to be the way people think because once people get a taste of having a voice yeah. they're not going to shut the fuck up right so right. when when black people start getting <laughs> when black people start protesting shit and and laws change black people are like well shit let's keep protesting when women start wearing pussy hats and and marching and and things change they go well shit let's let's what are these other things that have bothered us for years let's speak up about it when trans people and queer people are like we've had to avoid going to comedy shows forever. Yeah. Now we don't have to because we can fucking say, hey, that's fucked up. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that people are very comedy literate. I think that what happens is comics aren't always aware of the impact of jokes. Yeah. Right. We've and, been playing uh, these clubs. We took the comedy club jurisdiction and, and applied it to TikTok and it just doesn't work. It, it definitely, it's way, a comedy club is a safe space. Right, totally. 100%. Until you record it. <laughs> a comedy club is absolutely a safe space. I've said things on stage at a comedy club and a comedy show just flippantly. Oh, I said that. Oh, yeah, that was too far. I said it. I knew it was too far when I said it. I'm like, I'll pull that back. But no one recorded it. Mm -hmm. The second someone records it, it changes because it's no longer in that space. Right? Right. If my wife uh, likes to get choked and called a bitch in the bedroom, that's our business. The second well, we had, everybody's. right. The second <laughs> <laughs> shit. I don't know which one to open with. But yeah, I mean, this first time I do it at Kroger, we had a different conversation. You're like, come here, bitch. You're like, whoa, whoa. Right. Felonious monk calls white bitch in viral rant. You know. Right, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 funny because I remember I remember the episode of Patrice. You know, literally saying to the lady, "Damn, if you don't like my comedy, don't fucking come to the shows. This isn't for you. It isn't about you." And, and at that moment, he was right because comedy still lived mostly in comedy clubs. Right. But now that it's now that almost every comic has to be an Instagram or TikTok comic. Right. You don't control who's watching your shit anymore. Right. Yeah. You either have to take the criticism 
block the criticism out or fucking disappear, dog. But this this fighting back everything. You can't tell me that that sucks. I can. I absolutely yeah. can. Yeah. I, I think it's beautiful. I think I think we're like merging to like we're taking the comedy club mentality where it's like I can say whatever fucked up shit I want and that's okay mm-hmm. to the world where everybody gets offended at every little thing. Mm-hmm. And we've now merged those two. Mm-hmm. And now people are like le- comedians are learning that maybe it is good to be a little more conscious of people's I feelings. Think. And then spectators are learning that maybe they have to take a joke every now and then. Maybe you have and to, it's making yeah. us all stronger. Maybe. Not as funny. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't... You know what, though? I don't think... And this is a, this is going to be a, a wild take for some people, but I don't think that a joke being extremely offensive makes it funnier. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I, like, Carlin's funniest joke is literally a place for my stuff to me. And mm-hmm. the idea... The premise of a place... And, and by the way, place for my stuff does not have a cuss word in it. Right. It's like a six, seven minute bit with no cuss words. Right. The premise of it is that capitalism blows, that we're just buying bigger and bigger houses so we can store more and more shit that we don't need. Right. That we go on vacation and we get bigger and bigger hotel rooms, not because we need the luxury, but because we need more space for the shit that we take with us that we're still not going to use while we're there. Yeah. Right. That that joke is not offensive. And it's literally one of the all time funniest jokes. Who's offended by it except people who are like, I believe in capitalism. Cool. This joke still shouldn't offend you because you know that you don't need a bigger house for more things. You don't right. need the more thing. That's only that's the premise of the joke. So my favorite Carla joke is the ass eating one. That's a really good joke. That is a really good joke. <laughs> I do like the one where he ends the the rhyme about you know futurism and and uh, the hard drives and floppy disks, and then he goes, you know what I like? Pussy farts. <laughs> because fuck a transition, dog. Let's just go right into pussy farts. Right, yeah. I-, I love also that he's super cerebral and writes these really deep, layered, dense jokes and then goes to a queef joke right, right after it. And I think that's comedy. That's the duality that we... That's comedy. That we, yeah, exactly. Right? I'm going to do a fart joke and then I'm going to... Roy Wood Jr. talks about that. He's like, I have to get the audience on my side by doing this really silly thing so that I get to do this really smart thing. 100%. And uh, yeah, I take a lot. Shout out to Roy Wood Jr. who embarrassed me on Twitter yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't embarrass me, but I did say that a Hennessy ad was about anal. Uh, because it, it did. Was, it, yeah. it, 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 which, which Hennessy ad isn't? It's a Hennessy. Right. That's yeah. what Hennessy is that's for. Where it ends right? up. Yeah. yeah. If someone's like two shots of Hennessy, they're fucking. You know what right, I mean? Right, that's right, that's right. ass fucker. Right. That's an ass fucker. So, yeah. I, <laughs> the ad just said, oh, you know, Hennessy, the right way to open doors. And I was like, right? Right. So, see, you were like, ah, now, yeah, no, I see it. And he, you know, said that was a flagrant too. They get two shots in the ball. And I was like, first of all, you know, that was that was a playoff tweet. It's a hard playoff tweet, sure, but it was a playoff tweet. It's not flagrant. That's bullshit. It's a bad call. Uh, <laughs> social media is weird. Do you have another one? Uh, the answer to that's also cocaine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cocaine. God is here. That will make sense on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this isn't really topical. I, I heard as I was off to the side that um, you said you started comedy at like 38 years mm-hmm. old, right? Mm-hmm. Was there a, a, and I, I'm sure you have to be a student of the game, the, in the entirety, but like who, how did you kind of like get into it and get better? Like, was there certain people that you studied or did you kind of just like, I'm gonna just start writing and do what I think is funny and then grow from that? I point? wish I had that confidence when I started. Um, no, I was, I was extremely influenced 
my pen was influenced by the people who were way too good for me to to let them influence my pen. Mm. Um, you can't write your first joke like George Carlin, and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, uh, and that made my that made my process a lot harder because instead of just learning how to be funny, which is the first step, I was trying to do the hardest thing that I could do day one. Um, and then the second thing was, you know, I had only heard comedians, you know, the comedians that I was watching regularly were um, from the black rooms, the urban comics. And so my delivery didn't match the tone of what I was trying to write. And so it was like this really weird jumble of me sounding like Cat Williams and trying to write a Mike Birbiglia joke. And, mm. and nobody wants to hear Mike Birbiglia jokes and Cat Williams' voice or vice versa, right? <laughs> um, that would be weird. That, right, she's just thinking about it and you're like, and so, yeah. The steam of the motherfucking cell. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. A motherfucker couldn't sleep. I just had narcolepsy and would fall asleep any motherfucking time. That's, that's weird. So uh, <laughs> so that was, that was what was happening. And it took me a long time to figure out what I sounded like. Like when I, the best way I could describe it was when I was growing up, I used to sing a lot. But everything I sang, I sang like the person who sang it. I did not have my own singing voice. I could sing, I could mimic every singer that you ever fucking heard and sound exactly like them. And if you said, okay, now sing it like you, well, I don't, I don't know what my voice sounded like when I'm singing. I sounded terrible. I could hit every note that the singers could hit, but if you asked me to sing it by myself, could not do it. And so for years, that's how my comedy was. I could not write jokes that were funny and sounded like no one else could take tell that joke but me until I started telling stories. Mm. And once I started telling stories and it were stories that happened to me and no one else could tell the stories, right? Like I have a bit about um, a guy that I used to sell coke with who his fetish was he would like, he would let women holler into his asshole. That was his, that was his thing. <laughs> and holler like, hey! Like, ah, into, his, into his butt. I don't know if it was the vibration, he was in the ASMR. I don't know what, how that got him off. And, and I mostly didn't know because I'm not going to ask, and also I'm not going <laughs> to do like research. Question, right? Right, I was going to look at it and go, some shit ain't for me. And that was one of the things, right? right. Uh, and that was when I first started to go, okay, these are the things that I find funny. Now, how do I find a way to explain to the audience why I find those things funny? Once I can get the audience to understand this is my sense of humor, then I can just tell the jokes that I want to tell. And so that took a lot of time, even as an old motherfucker, it took me a while to figure out how not to sound like Cat Williams when I tagged shit, how not to sound like Carlos Miller, for example, when I tagged shit, because I worked with him a lot early in my career, and he just had the best, most laid back delivery I'd ever had. I've written jokes that were counter jokes to jokes that he's told, mm. but he influenced the way that I saw comedy so much that it took me a while to not sound like these motherfuckers. And because of that, I didn't record a lot of my early shit because I knew in my head I wasn't stealing their jokes, but I didn't have my own sound style delivery yet. And so there's no point in me fucking sharing a joke that sounds like Cat Williams told a joke. Sounded like you have a Carlos Miller joke and it's better than the joke that I wrote. So yeah, I, I was influenced um, and it took a while. The, the only reason to do comedy is to tell jokes that no one else can tell. I don't fucking, nobody wants to be the next this or the, you know, a better version of that. You want to be the very first Sammy. 
no, and then if we're being honest, way more math jokes in your set. <laughs> I don't know that there's a math <laughs> math median. <laughs> math calculus. There's a few math fanatics. So few of it's a it's yeah. a group. But that, yeah, exactly. It's a group. Exactly. It's a, it's hey, a parenthetical. Go. Yeah, it's, it's a set. If you want to call it a set. A, <laughs> uh, a set of sets. A set set. Yes. One, but, one yeah. more question. Yeah. Uh, cocaine. Um, have anybody yes. seen Cocaine Bear? I have not, and I will tell you, terrifying premise. <laughs> terrifying premise. Because, because uh, cocaine makes you brave in ways that fucking bears don't need. <laughs> yes. Right? You don't need to be that big right. with confidence, motherfucker. Right. Like, you humble yourself, big-ass bear. Like, you don't... Look, uh... <laughs> and I and I hear it was pure cocaine too. Like I stepped on my shit because I was trying to make money. Uh, so yeah, if you if I walk around you and you smell nail polish and your stomach starts hurting, you sniffed a lot of stepped on cocaine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like is that acetone? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> but for the people out there who understand that, wow, go to rehab. Uh, I haven't seen Cocaine Bear, but I knew the story. Yeah. And to me. By the way, in real life, I think the story only lasts like 15 minutes because the bear did like so much coke that the rampage that the bear went on was over very quickly. But in those 15 minutes, like the most destructive shit we've ever seen. Wow. That you could make that into a two hour or whatever movie. Bravo. That's fucking good on you, Hollywood, for making a movie. (laughs) By the way, I have a script that you guys keep turning down that's about real fucking people with real lives and real problems. But sure, let's make... A fucking story about bears and their drug habits. I have a script. Cocaine <laughs> giraffes. They're not buying right, <laughs> right this fucking, fuckers, fucking yeah. bullshit, man. I got uh, LS, LSD giraffe. I think <laughs> Skyler Higley just posted. He has got one about LSD giraffe, and I think that 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 should get made. Yeah, I would I like to see a very focused giraffe <laughs> doing giraffe shit. What do giraffes do? They don't. They just keep their neck in other people's business. That's how I know human beings aren't fucking the most highly evolved. We do shit that we don't need. Fucking dumb. What are you doing? <laughs> I gotta go to work. Look at that giraffe just eating. Yeah. So let me let me ask you before before eating we, giraffe before a giraffe eating ass. That's a good one too. <laughs> they reach the highest asses in those trees. That's <laughs> giraffe eating a bird ass. A giraffe can eat an ass That's from right. a distance. I, hey, I ate some um, eagle ass yesterday. How did you do that? I'm a giraffe, dog. You know what it is. I reach asses that you can't. That's right. I also hate it when people say I'm high as giraffe pussy because giraffe pussy is really in the it's right low. place. It's, it's giraffe low. tonsils. Right, right, that right. That you would be as high ass. So yeah, fix that in your. I mean, high pussy like a giraffe. Like a giraffe. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, uh, yeah, in, 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 in some, obviously, well, we know where to find you, put your socials and stuff yeah. like that. But, like, what do you have any any goals? Because I've always seen your act as, you know, I, I don't know how to say this, but it's like, it's more than comedy. You're a personality, you have stories. So you're somebody who has a message. You're somebody who could do something for the world. Yeah. Not to say that other comedians can't. I really want to but, do no. uh, <laughs> but, like, but I feel like you do, though. Yeah, I feel I like do. you do, and it may, maybe it might change from day to day. That's how we live. But like, what's your goal right now? No, I think that I think that is it, and I think it goes back to um, how I started doing comedy, where I was in my life when I started doing comedy, and that hasn't changed in any meaningful way, right? Like, um, my daughter's eighteen, and you know, I, I want her. Her kids, her friends are old enough to know what I do for a living. Her friends' parents have watched me on uh, the nightly show, and and, and I'm aware, very aware of 
her coming up in middle school and in high school in that age group where everything feels like the most important thing in the mm-hmm. world. Yeah. I can't be a dick. <clears throat> I can't become, I can't be someone who causes her to have to deal with questions about the shitty thing that I said. Right. You know, I've got my six-year-old now. I can't have him think that, you know, as a father, it's your responsibility to give them some type of moral compass. I can't make him think that my moral compass is, if it makes you money, it's okay to do. And so, you know, I start there. My, my moral compass starts with my kids. But also, um, I do believe that, you know, marginalized people have not had a voice. And as a, you know, cisgendered, heterosexual black guy, I think there's an opportunity to show people a type of comedy that doesn't strike even across the aisle. It literally is like, I'm only punching up uh, or I'm punching myself. I can be funny without hurting people. Let's go, let's have a good time. And you know, beyond that, whatever money we get to make, whatever platform we get to make, if you can use that to make someone's life better, fucking do that, man. It's not, you know, I'm selfish as shit with my time, but like with my platform, I try not to be. Right, that's a great, I mean, that's a great, uh, so basically tell the people, live like you have uh, children between six and 18. That would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, it's you might a, think I'm about what you do, like a little bit. Yeah. Because you I'm, have babies, you don't really give a fuck. No, still. fuck them. They yeah, can't You're still shit. doing the cocaine. I'm absolutely doing I'm I'm not doing cocaine jokes. I'm doing cocaine <laughs> yeah, yeah. off the baby's fucking <laughs> bassinet. Yeah. Oh, a rail off the baby rail? This is, whoa, I'll be up all night with you, motherfucker. Let's go. You know. You need uh, it. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's funny. I, uh, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I, I do think, I do do think that it's way easier um, it's way easier to do comedy like you're gonna live forever and you're gonna have to answer for the shit that you mm. say and if I do comedy with this like uh, Patton Oswalt has the bit now where he's like we're woke but are we like 20 years from that woke are we right. 34 you know what I mean like yeah. I am thinking about will this joke resonate 20 years from now when my son is 21 or 26 or whatever will he look back at it and go my dad was pretty cool but you know, he was really hard on the, you know, right. such and such, whatever the new thing that is. is the right, he was yeah, like, yeah. he was like really anti-AI. And, and that's, <laughs> that's fucked up, you know, because right. chat GPT has fucking feelings, piece right, of shit. Right, right, right. You know, but he was old, so what did he know? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's always trying to be so far ahead of our time that even when someone looks back and goes, well, you know, during that time, people were, they still look at me and go, yeah, he was ahead of his time for that shit. Right. You know, he was a, a queer activist when we were not even fucking with queer people. Right. That's that's what I'm trying to figure out how to do. And that's but I also could see the future because I'm not from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get that? Did you see the glint? I'm not even a real motherfucker. You are AI. <laughs> Damn it, Sam. Stop, stop snitching. You're fighting for voting rights of former convicted former, AI. Co- former convicted AI. We're going to take over. That's what uh, I said. It. Yeah. I said, it. We've, gone, we've gone far enough in our plans that now I can admit it. Great. Uh, I am AI and not Alan Iverson. Uh, you saw it. Or, and, or Andre Iguodala. The answer. Uh, the answer and the question. Uh, yeah, so that's. I think that's it. It's just basically trying to be forward thinking enough that the jokes work now, and in 10 years from now, I won't be embarrassed by a take. That's amazing. That's it. Yeah. Cocaine. (laughs) Which will become legal at some point, so still pro-coke. 
It will. This actually, this podcast will age very well. It will. Yeah. It will. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they talked about mushrooms and cocaine yeah. on that podcast right. in 2023. <laughs> Do you know how far ahead is, Sammy? <laughs> bro, bro, right. they, was, they was ahead of their time, dog. Right. Unlike people who do a lot of cocaine, this podcast will age well. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Felonius. Thanks for stopping by, man. Thanks for having yeah. me, man. Great yes. time. Great time. Of course. Pleasure. All right. All right. All right. Hey, man.